coming up to you he might be a journeyman but to me he is the pride and joy de mi isla de puerto rico and the son of brooklyn new york and most of all he's an emmy award-winning tv analyst yo figgy come get this work Welcome, 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 welcome to The Work. I am your host, Rompe, and today, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited. I am happy. I am full of joy. I am elated. Any word you can look up in the dictionary that defines pure excitement and joy is how I feel at this very moment right now. Because my next guest is not just a journeyman. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV analyst. Not only that, he propelled Team Puerto Rico past the United States in one of his best pitching performances in his career. Ladies and gentlemen, Nelson Figueroa. All right, we're here with Nelson Figueroa. How you doing? How you been, man? How's everything? I'm doing well, man. It's been a crazy year, of course, uh, getting into the offseason and the Mets have a new owner and... Uh, Things seem to be trending upward for them, so it's an exciting time. But uh, definitely 2020 is going to be that uh, year you tell all your grandkids about and their grandkids about. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, like I've been saying, better days and better nights are in the horizon uh, when it comes to the Mets. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy. And um, But I want to I get to a little bit of... Uh, the humble beginnings, because I know uh, mm -hmm. in in around Major League Baseball and stuff, people, you know, consider you like a journeyman and stuff like that. But for me, mm -hmm. it's a little bit different. You know, um, I'm Puerto Rican um, and uh, I, I was watching very, very closely in 2013 mm -hmm. uh, during the World Baseball Classic. And that performance, I mean, to me, it was so euphoric. It was just next level. Explain to me how that moment felt for you playing for your, you know, your Puerto Rican team. Yeah. Um, the first time that I was able to do that was in 2009. And it was exciting for me because I looked around and you had put some of the greatest Puerto Rican baseball players, especially of my era, together. Um, and so you had the Beltrans, the Delgados, the uh, Pudge Rodriguez, Yadier was the backup. I mean, you're looking around and seeing the best of the best. And to be a part of that was just uh, special isn't even a, a big enough word. Um, it, it was just a very proud moment to realize when you're on the island of Puerto Rico playing in that first round and packing the Olympic Stadium and uh, being able to move on and go down to Miami. Um, I remember waving that flag around and just feeling that sense of pride because for me, you know, I played winter ball a long time being a journeyman every year is a one year contract. So right. in the off seasons, I had, I had to find a job. And so right. I went to Dominican Republic most of the time because to me, that competition was second to none. They had their major league players playing mm -hmm. you know, year round. And so I wanted to prove that I could get major league hitters out. That's the only way to do it was to face major league hitters. So I went to Dominican every year to play. And uh, it was a different atmosphere. Um, the WBC, though, having a chance to play against 
the Dominican team, having a chance to play against Team Venezuela and to have that Puerto Rico on your chest. Mm-hmm. Man, there, there was there was nothing like it. And I, uh, I remember in 2009, it was kind of where, you know, I got to put kind of my foot in the door um, for the second half of my career because having surgery in 2004, it took me a long while to get back. I got back in 2008 with the Mets mm-hmm. um, and it was an opportunity to show what I could do on a big stage. And had we not had that bad last inning with JC, mm-hmm. I was winning that game. Yeah. So if I get that, I get that win um, in the final round, Right. Um, I was scheduled to be one of the starters because one of the starters, I think Javier was going to leave. Um, he wasn't going to be able to start because it was getting close to the start of the season. Right. So I was going to be one of the starters. So if I go and I start and I beat Korea or I beat Japan, who knows what happens with my career? It changes. Maybe I go overseas, whatever happens. But going back to 13 and having a chance to beat Team USA um, and pitching to Yachty for the first time, um, well, second time, but in that tournament, right? It talk about euphoric. It was surreal in the sense that I remember warming up and I was like, "All right, I feel pretty good," you know, and kind of going through my head of the, the lineup. And I remember there was that moment of saying to myself, "Don't try to be perfect." Every day of my career, I spent trying to be perfect because if I wasn't perfect, I didn't have power stuff to get away with. Hey, a 91 mile an hour fastball down the middle is not going to be the same as a 98 mile an hour fastball. You know, you can blow it by guys at 98. So right. I remember saying to myself, don't try to be perfect because all I did my whole career was always tried to add a little more on my fastball, a little bit more on my slider. And it, it wound up getting me in trouble. Yachty came in to finish up my warmups. And I remember he just put his glove down and he goes, don't miss this. Mm. And I just hit his target non-stop in the bullpen we start walking out and he goes I don't need any more than that stay right there and for the first time in my career I didn't reach back to throw the ball as hard as I could Mm -hmm. I didn't try to make it as nasty as I could I tried to simplify everything and just execute my pitches and all of a sudden we're churning through the lineup so quickly we get to the fourth inning and I look at Yachty and that we're in the dugout and I said, look, man, I'm going to have to shake you off. Cause it's not like I'm doing anything. It's like you're playing a video game back there. Every time you put down the fingers, I'm just putting the pitches where you want them. So it's too easy for you. I got to shake you off. And he just kind of gave me that stare, like, go ahead, shake me off. See what happens. <laughs> so in the fifth, fifth inning, I remember a uh, hitter was coming up and it was, this is before like he's, you know, getting ready in the box. I'm already shaking my head. And Yachty looks at me, his eyes just get wide, and he just stares at me. And I'm like, all right, no more shaking. <laughs> Puts down his fingers, and we go back to work. And uh, just getting through that, through that game. And I remember he throws out Jimmy Rollins trying to steal. Mm-hmm. And we go running off the mound. And I was so upset that I couldn't finish the game. Right. I had only 82 pitches. I had only 82 pitches. 80 was the, the cutoff point. And um, I was so excited because, again, I was giving us a chance to win that game. Right. And I wanted, I wanted this time uh, for us to be able to finish it out. So the the further I could go in the game, you know, the less pitchers that we needed to use. And it was still tight and tense and we were able to pull it out. Um, And at the end of it, just to kind of hear the fans, I think all of Puerto Rico was in that Marlins stadium. Marlins, the Marlins stadium has never had a crowd that like big. that before mm-hmm. and, and and all the Puerto Rican fans that were on the concourse singing and they were posting it all over social media it was just um I, I want to say I was kind of 
it, when I say surreal, it was like I was watching a movie. Yeah. I, I did the I did the post game interviews and everything else in Spanish and English, and it was like I was watching a movie of watching myself and just sitting there. It was like that dream where okay, this is the dream I don't want to wake up from. I want to see where this goes because mm -hmm. that night, if that night could have lasted forever, I would have loved it. Here's the craziest thing. I have never watched the game. Oh my I've never God. watched it. Oh I've my never watched God. it. I've, I've never watched either one of those games in 2013. I actually didn't watch the ones in 2009. Like I've seen the highlights of course, because mm -hmm. it's always on YouTube and stuff. And every time, you know, the date comes around, they'll, they'll, they'll show it. Right. But I have never watched the game fully because <laughs> I remember it a certain way. Right. You and you I mean? don't want to, I don't want to tarnish it for me. Right. I, right. I'll, I'll sit down one day and I'll, I'll, I'll break it down and everything else. I'm sure I'll do like a podcast about it. <laughs> but yeah, that but was me. That was a great, that was a great time, man. Even, even uh, in 2016, it was, that was, I mean, to get so close and uh, come up short, I mean, it, it, it hurts, but the, mm -hmm. just the sense of pride, the, the proudness. We, you know, in 2013, you know, we beat USA. And then, mm -hmm. you know, in 2016, we beat the Dominican, I mean, the Dominican Republic, and we beat the Netherlands to get to the finals. And uh, USA got their revenge back. But I love the World Baseball Classic. When that time comes mm -hmm. around to be able to wear those those country colors and be able to represent. Yep. And you know, here in New York City, when we, you know, when it's time for everybody, you know, to represent Puerto Rico, we go in. And oh, yeah. that's, that's just something that I absolutely love. And the atmosphere and the way the games are played during the World Baseball Classic, I just feel like there's nothing like it. Powered by the Enhanced Refresh technology, Ray's Energy delivers with a performance-enhancing energy drink profile that aids in the most often overlooked categories. Ray's Energy takes a giant leap of faith with instilling a high-quality formula to bring the customer a powerful yet sustained energetic experience to help push your workouts and focus in general to the very next level. Perfect for anyone at any time Ray's Energy has become the most popular and best rated energy drink on the market to date. With the phenomenal flavor profile that puts most competitors to shame. And today, I am offering you guys a special, special offer of 15% off your next order right now if you use the promo code DREAM when you check out at repsports.com. So get your raised energy drink today and don't forget to step into the game with raised energy drink. So let's go from playing for your, you know, national team Puerto Rico to playing for your hometown team the New York Mets like you said uh you had an injury and then you came back to Major League Baseball in 2008 right and you played yep. for the Mets how was that feeling you know uh just playing for the team that you you know grew up watching as a kid and stuff like that yeah the scary part about that whole thing was uh being drafted by the Mets in 1995 um right then and there it was kind of that okay if if it never gets further than this, I got drafted to be a professional with the team I grew up rooting for. That right. would have been great. Mm -hmm. I got down to spring train. I got down to spring training that year in 1995. And as I'm putting on my uniform, they have the names etched inside of the uniforms. So I was putting on Howard Johnson's jersey, number 20, and wow. I had I had Dwight Gooden's pants on. Wow. And 
for a kid growing up in Brooklyn who's a Mets fan, I I was almost shaken. Like, holy cow, like this is my uniform that I get to wear. I get to wear the same uniform that these guys wore. And when that journey <clears throat> when that journey started, it was um I, I was able to put myself on the map in the organization very quickly. Um my first full season, I led the minor leagues in strikeouts, being a 30th round draft pick. Nobody thought that was gonna happen. But I was advanced for the league that they had me in and for uh, someone playing at that level. Um, I was able to, to really take advantage of that and, and use all my pitches. And my, my split finger was a major league pitch that, you know, I, I already had harnessed and was able to get a lot of strikeouts. I struck out 200 guys in a minor league season, which doesn't happen very often. Wow. Um, so after that point, here I am thinking, okay, you know, I'm now watching and I'm reading, you know, who's ahead of me. I'm checking all the time, you know, how they're doing. I'm checking my numbers because it was all about numbers. After you're a professional, everybody yeah. signs are all the same. So right. it's about the numbers who puts up the numbers. So I was constantly always trying to better my numbers and, 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 you know, winning, of course, to me, winning was still everything because I was a starter who, if I go deep enough in the game, I get the wins. I'm trying to get you know, 14, 15 wins in a minor league season, which is only five months, add another month to it. That means I got a chance to be a 20 game winner. So that was important to me. Right. Um, I get all the way to 1998 and I get called in the office. And I remember uh, John Gibbons was my manager. Mm -hmm. uh, he called, he calls me in and he says to me, Hey, I want to congratulate you. Uh, you're going to triple A. Mm. And I was in double A at the time. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. And he goes, what do you mean you don't want to go? I said, because I started this year with this team. We just kind of turned the corner and we're pushing towards the playoffs. And I'm the number one pitcher at the time. I go, I want to stay here and see how this finishes out. I don't think a month of being in triple A is going to do anything. more for me. Right. It's not going to do more for me than my ability to show that I'm a leader. Um, I'm a guy who wants to be here and I'm a guy who wants to win. I think I'm going to continue to get better. And especially I had John Gibbons and Rick Waits. Rick Waits is my pitching coach. Um, I felt like I was uh, able to flourish with those guys. They had a lot of confidence in me and I had a lot of confidence in their, in their decisions. And they were great at explaining um, the good, the bad, and the ugly of my performances. So he says, okay, well, then you're really not going to like the next part. It's with another organization. Mm. And I remember it was like the Charlie Brown teacher talking where it just yes. all went. So I'm sitting there and he's talking. I can't hear anything he's saying. I got a lump in my throat, bro, that uh, my eyes are starting to well up and I'm just staring into space. Like, and I say to him, I get out. What did I do wrong? Right. Why, why are you getting rid of me? And he goes, that's not it. And he goes, um, Bernard Gilkey, and you are going to the Diamondbacks. Um, you're going to go right to AAA and have a chance to be in the big leagues by the end of the year. Okay. And, and like my first reaction was, it, it's not as a Met. I don't want it. Right. You know? mm -hmm. and, and so I sat there and I was just numb to it. And he's like, well, you know, get yourself together and, you know, start thinking, you know, about what you need to pack up and take with you. They want you over there in a couple of days. And, um, so I leave the Mets in, in 1998. I wind up making it to the big leagues with the D-backs in 2000, make my debut. Um, 2001, I wind up pitching against the Mets in a Phillies uniform at Shea Stadium, which was very surreal. Mm -hmm. um, and then after all that time, 13 years later, 
And after my surgeries and everything else and going to open tryouts and playing winter ball and all of a sudden getting an opportunity to go to spring training with the Mets in 2008, mm-hmm. it was it was one of those things where I walk in and I'm looking at all these guys and it's Wright, Reyes, Castillo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Beltran, Delgado. And the pitching coach comes up to me and he's like, I've watched you throw your bullpen for the last three days. And he's like, he says to me, wow. He goes, you can do a lot of things, huh? I go, if you let me. Uh, I said, I, right. I, if, you le- if you let me, I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I can do whatever you need me to do. I can be whatever role you need me to be. And I was there till the last cut. And so I was the 26th man. We were in Miami. They send me, um, they send me to uh, New Orleans because mm-hmm. uh, that's where our AAA team was. And that was on a Sunday. Monday we opened up. Santana pitches on Tuesday. I'm throwing a bullpen at like seven o'clock at night, somewhere like 7:30. Throwing a bullpen, and all of a sudden they say, "Get off the mound! Get off the mound!" I go, "What's up?" They go, "Pedro just got hurt in the second inning of the game." Yep. You you're going up, and I'm like get out of here. I was like, I'm going up. And so the next day I have, I still trying to figure out the whole timing of this. I didn't get to the ballpark till five 30 in the afternoon from new Orleans, just to Miami. So I can't figure out what, what was wrong with the, with the flights or why, why it was scheduled that way. I think they were waiting to see like after Pedro had some tests done. Right. And so they were, they, my, my flight didn't get in. I didn't get into the ballpark till like five, five 30. And I remember signing my contract on the dugout steps. Wow. Um, and that night in like, I think it was either the seventh or the eighth inning, I got into the game. So I was back in the major leagues for the first time in four years. And I had the Mets uniform on and I struck out, I think it was Jorge Cantu. And I walk into the dugout and as I'm walking into the dugout, you know, I, I did the sign of the cross. I looked up and I covered my face with my hat mm-hmm. and the media asked me afterwards, you know, why'd you do that? Why'd you cover your face? I said, I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want anybody to see me, you know, crying. crying. In HD. Uh-huh. I, go, I, I, I was like, it's, this is all HD now. They can see right. everything. So I go, I said, it's just been an incredible journey um, from the day that I got drafted to finally put on this uniform. And, and, and pitch. I said, it, it, it just, it feels different. And then I got the start in Shea Stadium um, on April 11th. And it was, I mean, it was a movie type atmosphere where it was a foggy night and my parents were there and 125 other people that I invited. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having uh, Billy Wagner gave us the suite and, right. uh, you know, the suite normally fit 20. Mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans filled it to about 50. <laughs> um, they, they were hanging out the edge and everything. And I remember SNY was broadcasting it and Burkhart was in there with them and me and Burkhardt have been close ever since. And he always goes back to, that was one of my favorite interviews to do was talking to your daughter and to your mom and dad and seeing how proud they were of you and, and yeah. that moment. And, and um, so that's where that first time to pitch in Shea Stadium in front of the home crowd. And I remember warming up and it was like, I'm warming up, but it's not me warming up because I'm busy looking around. Uh-huh. Like, it's like you have an in. outer body experience. Yeah. And no exaggeration. Like my body knew what to do. So my body was in cruise control, but my mind was just taking it all in. And I remember staring up in the upper deck because that's where I sat as a kid. Yeah. And all I could, and all I could say to myself was from there, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and it was, my song was Eminem, lose yourself. So that was playing in the background. And all wow. I kept saying is you only get, you only get one shot. 
you know, uh-huh. show them what you can do, show them what you can do. And then that game uh, pitched great and got my win. And I think I'm one of, uh, it's like three Brooklyn born met starters to ever get a win. Um, and so that was where everything came back full circle for me to, to get back with the Mets and to have that uniform on and to fulfill those childhood dreams. And for even just one minute right. where the crowd gets on their feet, Mm-hmm. When there's two strikes, you know how it was in Shea Stadium. Two yeah. strikes, everybody's getting up and clapping, and they're waiting for that strikeout. Yep. I remember, do, I remember doing that when Doc was pitching. You know, and mm-hmm. when Ron Darling was there, and and those guys did it, and it made it look easy. I remember I got two strikes. I'm one of the first hitters I faced, and the, I'm hearing the slow clap, and it's getting louder, and I'm like, "Holy cow!" It's like I got to do this. This is what the fans want. Uh-huh. And I and I got the strikeout, and I remember feeling that euphoric. Uh, that buzz going over your body and saying to myself for one second, for one second, I never had his stuff or his ability, but I knew what it was like to be Dwight Gooden. Yeah. And that to me, that to me was everything. Wow, man. That, I mean, just hearing it, just listening to it, I can just imagine like, you know, as a kid, that was always my dream, you know, playing baseball since, you know, I was like two years old. That was always my dream. Mm -hmm. Didn't get really past college, but you know, to be able, because I was a walk-on, walked on to a private mm-hmm. college, you know, uh, off the street. I was overweight, didn't really, you know, but I had the ability. And the fact that the right. coaches really saw that I had that ability, I, I kind of wish I had more discipline and I kind of wish I had more, you know, come on, let's, let's do it. Let's bear down. Let's, let's, let's get right to it. I didn't, but I don't regret it though. You know, I don't okay. regret you know, just trying to achieve my dreams and my goals. So to hear that from you and actually really get there and make it there, you know, no matter how the rest of the story turned out, that's beautiful, mm-hmm. man. That's beautiful. That's, that's a, amazing. That's a tremendous point. That's a tremendous point that you bring up because the, the word discipline is so huge. Um, yeah. My, br- my brothers, I, I knew my brothers had all the ability in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they're five, uh, four and five years younger than me. And I knew they, if they could, just be focused, like you said, mm-hmm. um, the discipline, the, the, the being able to take constructive criticism. Right. One of the biggest, one of the biggest things was to be able to, to adapt outside your comfort zone, getting outside yep. of New York, playing yep. in these little towns, playing in these little towns. And it, it, it really, your focus was, I'm a paid professional. I'm a paid, paid baseball player. And even when it was in college, I went to a small division three college. Um, Brandeis University up in Boston going to a small division three school um, it's different and and the focus for me was to get better right I I was gonna have every opportunity to shine I was gonna have every opportunity to stand out so the the big fish in a little pond where if any scout was there and they're watching all the guys play of the 18 guys that are on the field that day I was gonna be the best one right that's how I always looked at it I'm Mm -hmm. gonna have to find a way to stand out and being that I was six foot and 130 pounds, you're not really standing out. No. I didn't throw 90, I didn't throw 97, you know, I, I would top out at 91 every now and then in, mm-hmm. in college, but I had a really good curveball and I had a real good split. And when I got the opportunity to go from a division three ball player to in a walk-on situation, literally my coach called up the pitching coach for the Wareham Gateman in the Cape Cod league. Mm-hmm. And that gentleman was a, a division three a manager or division three coach. And I had faced this team two times before. And right. he's like, Oh no, this, this kid can absolutely pitch. He's like, let him come in. I'll have him throw for everybody. 
and they can see that, you know, this guy can, can stand with us. And I went there and I was kind of like the 27th, 28th man on that 25 man roster and two or three guys signed, two guys signed, one guy got hurt. Right. So now they had room on the, ro- they had room on the roster and mm-hmm. they kept me. Wound up making the all-star team, wound up, I either led the team or second in the team in wins, very low ERA. We wound up winning the championship and we threw back to back to back shutouts in the championship. It was three out of five in the Cape Cod League. So we throw back to back to back shutouts. The other two guys are division one guys. I'm a division three kid. Um, we get done with the Cape Cod League and all of a sudden it was Nelson Figueroa's name popping up alongside these division one all-star guys. Um, high caliber guys. So my first game in division three, the next year, we open up in Florida and I have 32 scouts at the game. Mm. And I mean, I got scouts watching me just warm up. I got scouts videotaping me, warming up, pulling out radar guns all the time. And I went from maybe getting one or two scouts a game in a division three school to now I got 32 scouts in my first outing. Wow. And it was, it was where all of a sudden it was like, okay, so this is real. Like the, the interest is real. All the, mm-hmm. all the stuff that was in the newspaper is real. They got to see me pitch. And then, you know, the draft comes and I sat back and I waited and did I want to get drafted earlier? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't have wanted to be drafted by any other team because I then. think being, dra- being drafted by the Mets, it, it early on, it instilled in me like a lot of the, a lot of the little things of, of dealing with adversity. The reason why I was a Mets fan growing up, the Yankees had all the money in the world and they right. could, you know, buy, they could mm-hmm. buy all the nice things. I didn't grow up that way. Right. You know, Puerto Rican from Coney Island. I didn't mm-hmm. grow up just being able to say, Hey, I want Jordan to go get them. Right. So from, for me, giving, giving me a chance to, to earn it alongside another kid who maybe got a high signing bonus. Right. He might be, con- he might be content with where he's at. I wasn't. I wanted to mm-hmm. prove that I was, I was more than a 30th round draft pick and I was able to do that. And it was just, I, I think being raised as a Mets fan, that's what it was about. It was that blue collar, you know, give it all you got. And some of the, my favorite Mets necessarily weren't the superstars. It was right. the guys that, you know, you saw them hustling. You saw them, you know, doing the little things. You saw them being uh, feisty, you know, a chip on their shoulder. Yo, I'm mm-hmm. from New York. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my, yeah. that was always my, my rally cry was, I, I've played on some of the worst fields in the parade ground. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So now I'm playing on these manicured fields and, and everybody's complaining, oh, it's so cold. And I remember, uh, let me give you a quick story and then I'll let you get back to it. Um, in double A, uh, I remember we had two guys on the 40 man roster, including Octavio Dutel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come to me and they go, hey, you're going to be the opening day starter. And I'm like, what? Wow. I'm like, I'm going to be the opening day starter. I go, those two guys were in major league camp this year and got sent down. I said, they're, they're, they're top prospects, blah, blah, blah. They're ranked in all the whole nine yards. I go, I'm the opening day starter. So we start, you know, doing the interviews um, with the media. And somebody says to me, so it's supposed to be like 37 degrees and snowing tomorrow. Mm. And I go, ah, uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> So now I know why I'm the opening day starter. Right. I'm expendable. Mm-hmm. I'm expendable. Right, and they started right. laughing. I, I tell the manager, I told John Gibbons, I go, it's because I'm expendable. I see why I'm starting. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, no. He goes, have you ever pitched in snow before? Have you ever pitched in cold weather before? Yeah. He goes, we have confidence that you're the best choice to be the opening day starter because you've done it before. And that's what I always talk to kids about is that you've got to be able to 
to deal with adversity. You got to be able yep. to deal with not perfect conditions. You got to mm-hmm. be able to accept failure and learn from it if you're going to ever have any type of success. That's that's 100% true, man. So post-playing career, you you um, got you signed on to SNY uh, and 2015, that was a year you came in and that year was... Mm-hmm. I mean, to say up and down is just, you know, being light with it. That year was a roller coaster, you know, yeah. so you, you, you were there, you had front row seats to every mm-hmm. single thing that happened. What was that 2015 season like from your point of view? Uh, from my point of view, um, it was my first year of being an analyst. And I remember going down to spring training and it was still so raw that I wasn't playing anymore that again you're down on those well manicured fields it's sunny florida all the fans are there all the fans are saying hello all the guys are coming by and shaking your hand and you know and talking to david wright and all these guys and i'm looking around and i'm like i can still do it i can still do i'll just go across the white line i'll put on a uniform i can still do it you know Mm -hmm. and i sit back and i go no you know I, i have to start moving on in my career and realizing that although i i my i feel like i can do it it's I can have a long career talking about it and explaining right. the game. Right. Um, and so very early um, in my career, Fred Wilpon came over to me mm-hmm. at spring training. And he says to me, he's of course fixing up my collar and everything else that he says to me, you were the right guy for this job. And I'm going to tell you why he goes, you're a Brooklyn boy. He goes, you're well-educated. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very articulate. You can explain things very well. I want you to be honest. I want you to be entitled to your opinion, but I don't want you to kick somebody while they're down. And I don't want you to praise somebody just because they had one good game. He goes, I want you to be accountable for the things that you say. And I've always been that way. And that's, I think, why I got an opportunity to ask and why every time I gave an interview, it wasn't the same cliches. It was... Mm -hmm. I would give some honest feelings about, you know, what I went through in the game. I would give some honest feelings about uh, what I needed to work on. And it wasn't just one of the things that used to drive me crazy in the analyst role at SNY was I would hear these guys say, Oh, my mechanics were off. Mm-hmm. You're a major league pitcher, bro. You're a major <laughs> league pitcher. Your mechanics can't be off for very long. And if they're off, you should have a, a reason of why they're off. You can't right. just hide behind a word. And that mm-hmm. would drive me crazy because Nelson Figueroa couldn't just say, oh, my mechanics were off. I said that they would be like, oh, you're not good enough to be in the big leagues. Go back to Go AAA. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm listening to these guys who are, uh, are, are, you know, major league pitchers and guys that they're calling the five aces and everything mm-hmm. else. And I'm looked, uh, I'm, uh, my job as an analyst was to separate being a fan from someone who has to explain what you just saw, because the fan part of me was like, come on, you know, you, right. you you su- just say that I sucked today. Don't make mm-hmm. an excuse for it. Don't. Right. I, that's what I used to do. I was like, I was bad. I was bad, man. I was bad from the beginning. You know, I I, I tried to hold, uh, um, I tried to hold it together there in the middle, and it didn't work out. I'm gonna bust my butt all week long. I'm gonna figure out what I need to do, and I'll be better my next start. Right. It's very simple. It's about accountability. So, learning those things, that's something that. Um, that broadcasting role, it, it, it helped me get better every year. Um, it helped me slow down my pace. It helped me be able to, to help other, whether it's a fan who's 
eight years old or 80 years old, whether it's a female, male, or someone who's played the game before. I could explain it and, and go in depth enough so that when you got done hearing my analysis, it made you maybe understand it a little bit better because we all have some experience level, right? We've all seen, we've watched enough baseball to be like, man, I've seen everything. Well, we haven't seen everything. I used to watch games every, like you said, front row seat, bam, I'm watching these games and I'm going, I've never seen that before. (laughs) Or how did, how did that happen? How can Mm -hmm. I, how can I best explain this? How can I, you know, what do we have to do in the video? How can I show the video either in slow motion and fast motion, pause it where, pause it. So all these things would have to run through my head. And I remember in the beginning, it was like, you got 30 seconds to answer a question. Mm -hmm. It might be five things that I noticed. And if I don't say all five, there's going to be somebody on social media who says, Oh, but what about this? But what about that? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So I used to fall into that trap of trying to say all five things at once. Uh, I would, I would fumble my words. I didn't have a teleprompter, never did. Mm. So there's no teleprompter. There's nothing there like to read off of. So when I'm looking at the camera and I'm talking, I'm looking at the viewer. So it's like you and me having a conversation right now. Right. I'm looking at you and I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain the best way I can. And if a word comes into my head that I want to say, and it fits better, I might fumble that word. And I remember in the beginning, people were writing in, man, this guy can't even read the teleprompter. And hmm. I had to, I had to tell them, I don't get a teleprompter. I don't have, yeah. I, this is coming off the top of the dome and it's 30 seconds. They want you to hit it in 30 to 45 seconds max. They don't want you to talk more than that. Mm-hmm. And the, to have the host interact. And as I learned that technique and we got better and better with it, the last two years that I worked at SNY, we want our show won Emmys for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And so it showed that, you know, we were moving in the right direction. So that, that was something that I was extremely proud of because I had no background in it. It's not like when I played baseball, I've been playing, mm-hmm. like you said, play baseball since we were two years old. Right, right. That I could do, that right. I could understand, that I could help, even as a coach, I can help teach other players about things that I know how to do and things that I learned. But when it came to broadcasting, I got the job and literally they put me on the air and went, go. Mm. There was no, there was no training. There was no nothing. There was, uh, there was no, uh, Hey, look at this, look at that, do this, don't do that. So it was a process of um, really taking a lot of advice from different people who had been in the business. And um, then all of a sudden I'm doing, you know, MLB network. Uh, right. I'm doing, I'm doing the zone and I'm, I'm, I'm on the radio with Mike Francesa and trying to hold my own. Mm-hmm. And if I had looking back, you know, looking back at it all, man, all the experiences that I w- was able to have that 2015 season of watching that team go up and down and, you know, just a week beforehand, you know, the five days in flushing, I'm sure you've seen it about a million times. Yeah. The, uh, before that five days in flushing, you know, we had Eric Campbell and Mayberry mm-hmm. were the three and four, were the three and three four, and four hitters, hitters in the lineup. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we weren't exactly scaring anybody, not just mm-hmm. in the National League East, but anywhere, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, they made these moves and they pushed all their chips in and yeah. said, let's just go for it. And Cespedes carried the team like nothing I had ever seen. Because remember, Cespedes had already been traded twice. Right. Um, he had already went from Oakland to Boston, Boston to Detroit, Detroit now to, to the Mets. And he had never carried a team the way he did those last two months. Right. And it was like, this dude doesn't miss. And then Murphy gets hot in the playoffs. 
And when I say I've never seen anything like that before, no one has except for this year where, uh, uh, oh boy, we went nuts. Uh, <laughs> Randy, Randy yeah. went nuts in Tampa Bay. Right. Um, so watching Murphy go and take off. So this is my first year and A, we're in the World Series. B, you know, I, I bought tickets for my family so that they could sit and experience it and be in the stadium. Mm -hmm. And I remember going into the stadium and sitting in section 109 and rocking with everybody. And it was like, okay, my family had all my tickets. I don't have a ticket, you know, but I had my press pass. So I get down there and all the fans are like, no, 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 come on. We'll make room. We'll make mm -hmm. room. One of the guys is like, I'll stand up. I don't care. He's like, come here. <laughs> so we're all sitting there and I took in like three innings of, of being indoors or being in the stadium with it because I wanted to be able to talk about that ambiance, talk about the, the fans going crazy about the, the goosebumps when somebody hits a home run. And uh, that was such a special way to kind of break into this whole thing. And in 2016, we go back to the playoffs for the one game playoff and it wasn't really the same. And then, you know, we hit the skids in 17 and 18. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I feel like it's, uh, my journey has kind of slowly kind of progressively went up this way and my experience because I could, I, that's one of the things I could do as an analyst. I could see it from all sides, mm -hmm. you know, guys like Pedro, it's tough for Pedro to talk about a guy who's failed. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like Pedro can tell you all about all-star games and world series championships and Cy Young. That's mm -hmm. easy to talk about, but ask Pedro, when was the last time he felt like Matt Harvey did where he got booed off the mound and, and, uh, you know, ha declined going to the minor leagues, even though he knew it was the best thing for him. Right. His agent wouldn't let him do it because, right. you know, looking for the future, future marketing of, of your player, you don't want him going to the minor leagues at any time. But for Matt Harvey, to me, I know what that was like. I know what it was like to get booed and, and feel like you're still being booed well after you get home. Mm -hmm. You still hear those things through the night. I knew what that was like. I, I said it often. I, I never drove a, a, a Ferrari. I never dated a supermodel and I didn't throw a hundred miles an hour. So I can never speak on those things in, a, right. in the sense of Matt Harvey, but his struggles. Oh yeah. I definitely. Could, I could definitely relate to that. I can definitely explain what he's going through, not just physically, but mentally. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was really an important thing in, in my career to be able to to do it like no one else could. There was no one, no other analyst, no other guy who was on TV who could speak about it from that perspective. And I think that's what made my, uh, my voice unique and why I was sought after so much by other networks, you know, like MLB Network and, you know, mm -hmm. going on the radio and, and uh, whenever things happened with the Mets, it was like, all right, give, give Figgy a call, see what he's got to say. And right. so I, watching this COVID season was really tough because there was it a was. lot of things that, there was a lot of things that happened. You had a new manager, you know, new pitching coach. Uh, it was uh, the, the hitting coach, you know, opted out. He was home. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of things going on that, um, I, you know, I'm very thankful that I had the podcast myself with right. the New York Post, um, Amazing But True with, with Jake Brown. Uh, that, that was a tremendous opportunity because the fans got to still hear from me this year. The fans still got to hear my analysis and my insight. Um, and it's been, we had, 32 episodes now because we just did the 32nd one talking about Steve Cohen right and it's been a it's been a chance to um you know have that input uh and I'm excited for next year about you know a bunch of advances that we plan for the show and I'm excited for um you know whatever may come who knows maybe I I can get back into coaching um at at yeah. some point because I feel I have a lot 
to share. And at the same time, man, I, I'm excited about the next WBC. Who are you telling? Right. Yeah. I can't, man. Listen, I can't wait. It's going to be electric. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about uh, the Steve Cohen thing, right? So this was, this was something that Met fans, us, all of us, clamoring for somebody who really cares about the team and he crushed the press conference he mm-hmm. did everything he was supposed to do genuinely because it didn't seem like he just said it to say it to just no he knew what he had to do the minute they it was go time he went in right. created the social media because he knew there was a big disconnect between the fans and ownership and yep. in order to really be successful you got to start there. And that's where he started and he hit it out the park. I mean, it was a frenzy. People thought it was fake. People thought it was some, they were getting pranked. It was <laughs> not real. And it was really, really him. Like he really sat there, answered fans' questions, talked about certain things and, you know, try to get up the pulse of the fans. And never, ever, ever have I ever seen that. I mean, not from the Yankees, not from anyone. You know what I'm saying? I can't really speak for other teams and how their owners interact with their mm-hmm. fans, but I've never seen that. And when you hear Trevor Bauer say the same thing, I mean, that speaks volumes, you know? Yeah. Um, so he hit the ground running. Right now mm-hmm. they're in the process of looking for baseball ops and a GM or you know, probably will be the same person. Um, where do we go from here? Um, because there's a lot of ways we can go. We can go uh, Springer and Romuto. We can go Romuto and Bauer. Uh, there's also trades. So where do you think the Mets go first and then get the ball rolling? Well, first off, let me hit on that, uh, uh, the Steve Cohen press conference and, and what he's done thus far. What he's done that has been absolute brilliant is when you're on social media, and you're interacting with the fans. Um, first off, that's free, mm-hmm. very free, mm-hmm. right? And what you're doing is you're picking and choosing the narratives, and you're picking and choosing the messages that you want to answer. But just to have that interaction, whether you choose five, ten, twenty, you don't have to interact with every single one. And we know it's New York. You know mm-hmm. there's going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. But if you want to keep a positive vibe, if you want to set the tone for the organization about how you want to have that positive vibe, he has done a tremendous job of that interacting on social media, both he and his wife. Yes. Um, shout out to his wife, Alex, because mm-hmm. Latina, Big uh, shout the out. First, Latina, first Latina owner, you know, Boricua. I'm mm-hmm. so excited for everything that they bring to the table because I think they see the bigger picture. Yep. Now, I'm going to go back for a second to the Will Ponds. The problem with the Will Ponds was it wasn't that they didn't care. They never publicly showed it. Right. And that was the disconnect. The disconnect was in private, Fred and Jeff have spoken about their disappointments. They've spoken about their, their, uh, their, their what they can't sleep at night about. Mm-hmm. And it's as genuine as what Steve Cohen did, but they never put it on front street. That's and true. that that was something that I dealt with when I would talk with Fred on a on a personal basis was that if the fans knew how upset you were, it would help it. the whole it would help the whole city mm-hmm. to understand that it's not about it's not just about money. And for them, it wasn't just about money because listen, 
uh, fighting a losing battle because people always say, oh, they didn't spend money. They spent money. They just never got return on their investment. Exactly. They didn't, get, they, didn't get the, they didn't get the full return on their investment. Anytime that they put out the big bucks, it never came to fruition. Even Santana. Santana didn't, wasn't able to finish out his contract. Uh, Beltron was really the only signing that you could say, man, they got every last ounce out of it. Yep. And um, when, when you look at the, the Jason Bay thing, he was the best outfielder in baseball. The Cespedes was the best outfielder in baseball for three years. Right. And they signed him back each and every time, but they didn't get the return on the investment. And it's not necessarily, it's not their fault. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody always says, oh, but I would do this, this, and that, and that. I look at Steve Cohen coming in and we, you know how deep his pockets are. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Every owner who owns a team has deep pockets. Right. I, al- I always caution on the side of look at Arthur Moreno over in Anaheim. In Anaheim, yep. He has dropped boatloads of, of money. money besides trout he's, yep. ha- he's tried to put pieces around trout he's gone out and tried to sign the cj wilson cj wilson mm-hmm. was the number one lefty in baseball he signed him cj wilson did nothing after that yeah and he signed him to big money so he they owners go out and they try to do as best they can to put that product on the field the anaheim angels have spent money they went yes. out and got what three straight years they got the number one center fielder they had three center fielders they mm-hmm. paid them all 50 million, 50 million plus. They had three center fielders, and yet it didn't, it didn't translate to wins, yep. right? So it, it, it's not that easy to just throw money at it. You know how I know that? Just look across the city at the Bronx. The Yankees, yes. The, Bro- the Bronx has spent $3 billion in the last 15 years. $3 yep. billion. That's a lot. And they got one championship. And they got one championship. And they wow. had the best roster in baseball. Yep. They had the, mo- the, 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 the most, the deepest roster in baseball. And they had a empty, uh, they had a blank checkbook for Cashman to do whatever he wanted at the trade deadline. And then in the, in the offseason, anytime somebody had a good year, oh, he's going to be a Yankee. Yep. Nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten. That was won. right. But that doesn't equal championships still. So I look at it from I look at it from both sides, right? Mm-hmm. What I like is that when he came in, there was no question of what he wanted to do. He cleaned house when it came to the front office. Mm-hmm. He cleaned house and and they wanted to have their own way. He he already talked about it, the Mets way of doing things, and he wanted to be known that way. Sandy is a tremendous hire because you know he's spoken with Sandy, being a a, a season ticket holder has a suite at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Sandy goes and visits with him and talks with him at great length. So there's a trust factor there. Yes. When it comes to baseball man, when it comes to a baseball man who has his fingerprints all over this roster, it's Sandy. Mm-hmm. And 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 he wasn't given enough credit while he was in charge um, all those years because again, it comes down to championships. And if you don't win championships, then nobody cares. Exactly. Um, but he, he has had his fingers on, on this team and molding this team for quite some time. So I, I have a lot of confidence in Sandy where they go from here. Uh, me and Jake argued, I said, what if they go to Tampa Bay and they get, you know, one of the front office guys from Tampa Bay who says, Hey, we don't need to spend that kind of money. We don't need to go spend and get Bauer who had, a great 11 games, but if you mm-hmm. go back to his 11 games before that with the Cincinnati Reds, he had a 6.9 ERA. That's true. That's so true. You, it was 11 games. It was a fantastic 11 games. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's not that I doubt his ability, but look at it this way. And I'm going to give you why. Uh, and this is one of the things that I do. It's a little different. 
Trevor Bauer, whenever he's been second fiddle, whenever he's not been the man, mm-hmm. has never really stood out. So when he was behind Corey Kluber and Carrasco and all the other guys that Cleveland had, he was Trevor Bauer, the guy who hopefully would figure it out. Right. right. You never, right. he wasn't a Cy Young caliber pitcher. He was a good pitcher who had tremendous, uh, he could spin the ball really well. He, his fastball was electric at times, but that he's a, he was a guy who was in his own head because of the way that he thinks he's so analytical that mm-hmm. it never, it never worked out. And when you're talking about 34 games or 11, right. Who knows what the next 20 could bring. True. So I'm not going to overpay for that. I'm not going to go all in on that. Plus, I don't know how he's going to fit in in New York with he loves to be on social media. He loves to to kind of, you know, go in and go at it with the fans. You can do that in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It's no not the care. same. New York will not let up. Yeah. They will not let up. People will not sleep just to make sure that they're on his social media the whole time. So what happens when then he goes and, and he stops his social media? It's going to be a big story. What happens when he blocks so-and-so and so? It's going to be a big story. What happens? Here's the thing. He just won a Cy Young. Say they go and they pay him good money. He's not Jacob DeGrom. Nope. He and he even, even Exactly. Even on, like, let's say if the Mets do sign him, he's not above him. Like even so, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be number one. He's going to be Correct. number two or three, depending on how Noah Syndergaard turns out. So Correct. you're right. You're how right. Do you, how, remember, think about it this way: when Matt Harvey came back, and Matt Harvey came back in in 2015, 2016, he was still strong. Um, when he came back in 2015, and there was a Noah Syndergaard who threw harder than him, mm-hmm. and Jake and Jacob Degrom was more consistent than him, right? And Steven Matz was the guy that they were bringing up saying that he was the next so-and-so. All of a sudden, Matt Harvey wasn't the biggest talk in town. In fact, the story changed and he made himself relevant when they were talking about shutting him down. Yep. They were like 180 innings. That's all his his agent's going to let him go. That's when people started talking about Matt Harvey again. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it it wasn't that, and all of a sudden he's, he's watching, there's some games where you, I think the Noah Syndergaard game where he hits the two home runs against the Dodgers. He does it, and um, I'll never forget that everybody's going to, like, high-five him, and Matt Harvey's sitting there in the dugout just kind of staring, like, what the hell? Like, he used to be the man, and he could never get that back. And Jacob DeGrom wasn't letting that go because he was just so consistent. So when I look at Trevor Bauer, what happens when he's not the man? He's going to just keep talking about how I I just won the Cy Young. I'm the Cy Young Award winner. It's me. Right, right. And if he can't can't do that and he can't duplicate those numbers – all you're going to hear about is, well, I, I want to Cy Young. And right. I, I don't know. I don't know how that fits in. Um, fast forward and Real Muto. I, I love Real Muto. I think that's the move that you, is almost that has to be made. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a must, right? Having said that, if you were looking at maybe what's plan B, and I know people are like, well, Yadier has, you know, he wants a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. That's worth it to me. That's worth it to me if you want to do it for a two-year thing. If we keep the young move. guy. If we keep the young guy, uh, Nito, Nito, and there's another young guy coming up in the yeah, minor leagues there's, too. There's two more. There's two more. There's Ali, uh, uh, Sanchez, mm-hmm. Ali Sanchez is, is there, and there's another guy that they like a, a lot as well. Yep. I'm looking for proven. I'm looking for proven commodity, a guy that can, in the next two years, if I want to hit the ground running, and I can't get Real Muto, then I, I go. I try and get go Yachty. Yachty. If I can't get, if I can't get Yadi, and say Yadi signs back with the Cardinals because Yadi's 
I feel like Yachty's that kind of guy that's going to want to stay there. Yes. Yeah. So say Yacht, yeah. Yachty stays with the Cardinals. My plan C, go trade and get Sal Perez. That's true. Go to the Royals. He's got one year left on his contract. Mm-hmm. Go trade him to the. Go trade something to the Royals of value. Uh, what do we have of value? Well, we've got four shortstops that are co- up and coming. We've got already Jimenez, who's there, that was taking away playing time. Rosario is only 24 years old. Exactly. You that's why him, I think. You tra- that's why I think. I'm sorry for cutting you off. That's why I think. Yeah, that's why I think Rosario gets traded. And I think he knows too, because a lot of people kind of really swept it under the rug with that little uh, post that he did on Instagram. I think that's significant. Maybe because people don't understand Spanish and how people speak, you know, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, when you get on IG live and you, you know, you're mm-hmm. talking to your homie and then he asks you, so where are you going to be playing now? And he's like, oh, well, they sending me to Cleveland. No, I'm not going to ignore that. That's significant. There's something else going on. And I think that's the guy that gets traded for Lindor because Lindor has to beat you half. That's Mookie bet. That's your Mookie bets, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing, right? So if you, so say you don't, uh, it's not, it's not uh, him. So you go ahead and so you trade Nimmo. Mm-hmm. You trade Nimmo to get Sal, Sal Perez. And Sal Perez, remember, he's on his last year of his deal, but you bring Sal Perez here and I think you can wow him in with money because he's got some bigger pockets and you, whatever Real Muto get, you can put him comfortable with that somewhere near that. Because if you look at uh, Sal Perez's numbers, Sal Perez is older. Yes, by a few months. He's 30, mm-hmm. where Ramuto's 29. I still give that guy a four or five-year deal and lock of him course. up because he is top five in all of baseball. Look at yep. his numbers. Everybody keeps forgetting that how good this guy is because he plays for the Royals. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's an option that I like for the catching position. When it's some, if you trade away Nimmo, then what does that make you go do? You go ahead and go get Springer. Springer's a, 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 a mm-hmm. Northeast kid, went to UConn. He's a guy that fits what you want. You want a right-handed hitting center fielder who plays, you know, tremendous defense. Yep. So if he fills that, he fills that gap for you, you go ahead and you get Springer. So now you're starting to see these pieces come together. So now we go back to where you said about Lindor. Okay. Right. I want to get that superstar who's in his prime and I want to go get Lindor. Well, you're going to have to give up. They're saying they want three major league ready players. Well, that seems to be where you, you dangle, you, you send mats in the deal. Mm-hmm. If you want to send Matt over in the deal, who's a guy who has the plus ability, and if their pitching coach can get the most out of what he's gotten out of those guys that he's had, then he can change Matt for that pitching coach. He right. feels like he can get something out of Matt. So if you go Matt and you go one of the two shortstops, right? Because you got to give up. So say it's Matt Rosario, and they give up a third player, whoever that may be. I say JD um, Davis. I think he's. I think he's the one. J.D. Davis is a, a guy who's flexible enough to play multiple positions for them, yep. and he could be. Mm-hmm. Again, you want to do that, you go ahead and do that because now you have Lindor. So now you have Lindor and Sal Perez, and you have Springer, and we haven't even touched anybody in the starting rotation. If you exactly. want to go out and get, you want to go out and get guys. Remember, you're looking at guys right now that do I need a number one? Sure, I would love to have somebody to be the one A to to Jacob Degrom. But is there but anybody that, that really can? I feel like we have, so you have that. You have that. Stroman coming back as a number three is strong. Strong. Uh-huh. And we're so going to get Stroman Noah back. Stroman as a number three. Noah comes back and he can be that number two. So now you're looking at those three at the top. I don't want Lugo in the rotation, even though no. I love Lugo as a pitcher. Even though I love Lugo as a pitcher. And I think if he was able to train all offseason as a starter and from the beginning be ready as a starter, I mm-hmm. think it's a much different scenario. But last year, again, 
He had a, over a six ERA as a starter. He had a two ERA as a reliever. And as a reliever, he's a weapon. He's that Andrew Miller type that can pitch in any situation, pitch mm-hmm. multiple innings. He's the guy that I think is going to carry that bullpen and make sure that your back end guys like Diaz, who had a bounce back, is not overused. You know, if you want to have him go two innings at one night, he can do that. Familiar, remember, Familiar had a three year deal. Familiar was good for most of the year. He uh, he struggled uh, occasionally, but I liked where Familiar was was the direction that Familiar can go in. Yep. So I like those guys. Wilson, you got to sign back Wilson. He had a two year deal. Like um, there might have been a, a player option, and it and Wilson I think is a guy who he fit in great. Mm-hmm. So the bull, the bullpen is a place. Yeah, it's volatility. Every year you never know if a guy's going to come back or not. Remember, uh, uh, Batantis has stayed. Yep. Which is which is good because at the end of the year he was throwing harder than he was at the beginning of the year where he you know dealt with some injuries and coming back off the Achilles and everything else the stop and starts of the COVID. So I I, I still like Batantis' ability to to be uh, you know a seventh eighth inning guy. So they have a lot of pieces in place mm-hmm. now. If they're able to go and get and you put three superstars in that lineup, the Mets had the number one offense in all of baseball last year. That's true. And then you add the to offense. that. You add, you're adding you're adding to that, and you're adding a some youth, a some experience, and you're getting guys that you know what they're capable of doing. I'm okay with any of those moves. This is us sitting here, right? Mm-hmm. But the first time, but for the first time ever the one thing that I think that we're not worried about is the price tag. That's true. And, and, and hearing Sandy Alderson say that with confidence, like, you know, it's not about how much the player cost. It's, you know, the player. And that to me is significant. You know, it, it, it just speaks volumes. It speaks a tone that was not there before, you know, again, like we said, the Wilpons wanted to win and, you know, best of luck to them, you know, but it mm-hmm. was definitely time to move on. And right now we're in a position where things are going to be different. We're yep. going to have a bigger analytics department, which is something that was missing. We're going to have a lot of things in place that's really going to change the outlook on this team. And, you know, it, it definitely, we got a good start with that, with Steve Cohen, you know, and this is somebody, just like you said, it's just me and you talking that's who he is. It's he's a me. He's a you. He's us, but with more money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he he knows. I, and and that's something that is also significant is that he knows what ha, is missing for this team. But he knows that he's not a baseball guy, so he's gonna get yep. the baseball guys and he's gonna put them in position to succeed, given whatever resources they need. And yep. I think. Uh, getting, like you said, that Tampa Bay Rays executive, I think his name is Bobby Heck, bring yep. him in. If that's the way we're going to go, bring him in. Theo Epstein just finished saying that he's done with the Cubs, but he wants to take a year off. I don't know. I still think you sit down with, with... Yeah, of course. You that's sit poker. down, you talk to him, because Steve Cohen is that guy. He's that mm-hmm. guy. He sits down, he talks to you, he sells you on what's going to happen. It happened with Marcus Stroman, and I said it yep. the minute... Because everybody else is opting in, opting out of the qualifying offer. Marcus Stroman was hanging on, and he wanted to hear from Steve Cohen. And the minute he heard everything that came out of Steve Cohen, that sold him. That was it. That's all he needed to know, to know that this is going to be a different team. Like, we're going to mm-hmm. play to win the game. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Channeling my inner, you know, Herm Edwards. But we're going to play <laughs> to win Edwards. the game. You know, we're going to play to win the game. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And you're right. That Salvador Perez take uh, is something I haven't heard. But it's something to really look at, to think. You know, there's a lot of teams that suffered losses because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be guys. That, I mean, Yadier Molina is available. I mean, that, that should tell you the pulse of what's going to happen and what's to come. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... Definitely, definitely a lot to look forward to. Nelson, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the conversation. It was so good to talk to you, man. Um, I wish you all the luck with your podcast and everything else that you're, you know, you're into. And um, definitely, I appreciate it. And I hope to speak to you again in the future. Thank you, Rashid. Anytime, brother, just reach out to me. Thank you. Appreciate it. So there you have it. Uh, Nelson Figueroa, a good guy, uh, really gave us some insight into a lot of his experiences. Uh, And you can't really buy stories like that. You know, it's not something you can go to Hollywood and get a script written. It's not something that, you know, you can't make it up. These are genuine, real-life stories that he shared with us and I want to thank him again for giving us that insight taking us into his thought process and his mind during the World Baseball Classic in 2009 and in 2013 that you know you can never ask enough or never get enough when uh, a former player or a current player really walks you through that process of playing in the big leagues or getting that first call up or, you know, any of those experiences. Again, like I said, I, I had dreams of playing Major League Baseball, but they never really got far. And I'm okay with that. You know, uh, again, I walked on in college. Uh, I wasn't in the best sports shape I wasn't motivated I wasn't focused you know I went on there with pure ability alone and made the team and you know that's just proof that you know just ability alone doesn't get you to the promised land you gotta have grit you gotta have determination you gotta really have it all you know that's why there's a such thing as a mamba mentality man and 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 I always talk about it and it's true. You know, uh Kobe always said you you miss 99% of the shots you don't take. Michael Jordan always says, you know, I don't lose. I either win or I learn. Those are things that I carry with me. Those are things that are ingrained in my brain and in my heart to this day and I thank those men for that. Uh so again, thank you to Nelson Figueroa for all that he did for us today. And uh, I wish him all the best in everything that he's doing. Again, guys, I just want to remind you, you got 15% off your Raise Energy drink today if you put in promo code DREAM when you go to repsports.com. So don't forget, put that promo code DREAM and get your Raise Energy drink today. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at The Work. That's T-H, the number three, W-O-R-K. 
on Twitter. You can also find me on Twitter at Soy Rompe. That's S-O-Y-R-O-M-P-E. And also, don't forget to listen to us on Spotify and on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So don't forget to come get this work.